and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. I want to share with you from John chapter 6 this morning. Now, the Gospel of John, if you have not read it, uh, I encourage you to. Uh, If you're new to the faith, or maybe you're new to the Bible, uh, I think John is the best place in the Bible to start, um, because you get a really good picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, okay? So in the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' followers, John, uh, he's one of his youngest followers, He, he then sits down later in his life, and so Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written, and John says, you know, I want to focus on some things that maybe uh, weren't covered in these other Gospels. He had personal experiences that he wanted to share. Uh, We also believe in the doctrine of inspiration that John is working on this, but also the Holy Spirit is guiding him to write what he writes and format the book the way that it is. And so when John gets to his Gospel, uh, he sits down and he says, you know, there's all sorts of miracles that I could share about Jesus. Actually, at the end of his Gospel, he says, there's many wonders and signs that Jesus performed that are not written in this book, um, but these have been written so that you may believe in his name and have life in his name. That's his goal, is that when you read this, you would get an understanding of what life is all about through knowing Jesus. That's his idea, okay? Um, And so when he sits down to do that, he he records seven signs and he records seven times where Jesus has a big I am statement. Now, I put that handout, or I made a handout and I did not know it was going to be microscopic um, when it showed up, so um, sorry if you can't see it. Um, But here, who knows these things? You go through the seven signs. What's the first sign? Jesus turns water into wine. Okay. Uh, and then he, he, in John chapter four, they're traveling. This royal official meets him and he heals the royal official's son, right? So he's far off and he heals the royal official's son. Um, And then at Bethsaida, there's a man who was born uh, disabled. So he heals the disabled man there that's been sitting by that pool for all that time. Uh, And the chapter that we look at here in in, uh, chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000 and then he also walks on the sea. So you have those two miracles in this passage that uh, in this chapter that we'll look at. When we get to it, by the way, I'm going to paraphrase a bunch and then I'll read specific parts. And then in John chapter 9, there's the man who was born blind and he gives him sight. And then uh, Ken, if you were here last week, Ken covered the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So those are the seven miracles that, uh, that John records. And then there's these seven big I am statements. In the passage that we look at, Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Um, and then later on, he's going to say that he's the light of the world. In John chapter 10, which, like I said uh, later on, Matt will cover, he says that he is the gate and the good shepherd. When he talks about being the gate, he's saying that there's just one way in and out of relationship with God, that he is that gate, that if you want to have relationship with the Father, you have to go through Jesus. He's the gate. Uh, he also claims to be the good shepherd, the one who cares for our souls, who knows everything that we're going through. He, he understands your your backstory. Like he knows things about you that no one else knows. He knows things about you that you don't even realize and he cares for you. He's the good shepherd. And then in uh, chapter 11, uh, which Ken covered last week, he says that he is the resurrection and the life. 
the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And then in uh, John chapter 15, he's talking about relationship with him. And he says that he is the true vine. Uh, that if you want to experience life, then you have to be connected to him. If you're not connected to him, you're not going to experience life. Um, and so uh, you, you see this word life show up over and over again in John's Gospels. And one of the things that he does uh, is he then even opens his gospel. So in John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking about that word, word means it's logos in the Greek, and it means an eternal truth, a set of truths that have always been true and always will be true. And he says that this set of truth was with God, and then he says that that Word took on flesh and walked among us. And then in verse 4, he says, In him, in Jesus, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And so, again and again and again, John's saying, would you like to have life? Are you, are you discontented? Do you ever get to the end of your day and feel unsatisfied? Ever go through the middle of a day and go, I'm kind of bored. Do, do you ever wonder, what am I here for? Like, what's life about? John's saying, is that you? Is there something inside you that longs for more? Well, I'd like to introduce you to life. And so he says, the way that I'm going to introduce you to life is I'm going to teach you about who Jesus is. I'm going to show you the miraculous signs that he performed and then what those miraculous signs mean about him. And so he's going to make these big I am statements. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is life? How can you and I experience life? How can we experience now life as God intended it, but also how can we experience life in eternity? How does that happen? And so that's what I want to look at with you this morning. Before we do, let me pray. Father, this morning as we, as we come to you and we come to your word, um, each and every one of us is hungry and thirsty for life. And we turn to things very often that uh, feel like they're going to give us life. And maybe we experience some momentary pleasure, but it doesn't last. And when we spend our days on those things, we, we lay down at night and we feel unfulfilled. We feel discontented. We know that something is missing. And in your goodness and in your love, you've chosen to let us know that the thing that we're missing is not a thing, but it's a, it's a person and his name is Jesus. It's your son. It's the eternal truth made flesh that walked among us, that showed us what life is all about, uh, that, that, that modeled a spirit-empowered life that was in connection with his father and then blessing his fellow people. Uh, your son Jesus showed us what life is all about. And so, God, I pray that, uh, as Jesus said, that this truth is spirit and is life. I pray that uh, my, my words this morning would be spirit and life. Not because they're my words, but because they're your words. I pray that your words of spirit and life will be very clear to people this morning. You also say that the flesh profits nothing. And so, if, if I, if, 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 get me as far out of the way as possible so that your truth can be heard. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So when we talk about the, the feeling of discontentment, um, Oops, too far. Um, Ken Boa says it this way. He says, worldly and tempor te temporal motivators include the fear of, fear of loss, guilt, pride, hope of personal gain, reputation, prestige, and pleasure. And so when we're motivated for just the here and now, one of the motivators that we have is the fear of loss. And we've all experienced this in, in larger degrees the last few years than maybe we have in other parts of our life because this thing called COVID comes along and everybody goes, whoa, I could get sick and die. Um, there, there's this pandemic thing. And then maybe the fear of loss for you wasn't sick and death. Maybe you were like, hold on, I'm not so much afraid of COVID, but they keep taking my liberties away. And so there's this fear of loss. It's a temporal fear. Uh, guilt is something that uh, when we're motivated by guilt to either not experience it or to hide from it, uh, that's, that's a temporal thing. But what a, what a follower of Jesus does is they take guilt and they say, okay, maybe there are things about me that, that are wrong. And so I'm going to take the things that are wrong about me to the cross, allow Jesus to deal with those things. I'm going to confess them for what they are. And then I'm not going to experience prolonged guilt because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I lay that at the, feet of, at the foot of the cross and, and now I'm freed from that guilt and I'm uh, then able to walk in a newness of life that I didn't have otherwise. Pride motivates people for the here and now. What will people think of me? How can I elevate myself? How can I be seen as better than others? Personal gain, right? Now one of the things that's happening in the world around us is we have the war in Ukraine and none of us really feel that, but our wallets do. And so people are going, oh my goodness, look at the gas tank. And, you know, it was like $125 to fill up the Suburban this week. And it was like, kind of, I had that ouch moment. I'm sure you've all had that. Where you're like, oh no, the, the, the loss of, of personal gain here. Like I work hard for my money and I, and I go after, you know, I take my job seriously and then I want to steward what I have well. And now it looks like maybe I'm going to lose some of this. And maybe the market crashes and the housing market is pretty weird too? Are we going to experience another bubble like 2008? And it's not that you shouldn't be wise with what you have, but is, is, is your motivation just personal gain? Reputation. This is what the Pharisees were known for, right? Let's look good in front of everybody else, but inside, what did Jesus say? You're whitewashed tombs. You look just fine on the outside, but inside you're just full of death. And so you maintain a reputation even though on the inside you're dying. Uh, prestige, you know, it's like I want to have that elevated position. And then pleasure, I think this is the one that motivates our society the most. I think that we are, uh, we are motivated primarily by experiencing pleasure. Uh, comfort is, is sort of the, the god of the day. Um, and so we avoid things that are painful. We don't know what to do when painful things come along. It's all about the next pleasurable experience. And when you're motivated by those things, I would say that when that's the motivation of your day, you should expect discontentment and unfulfillment. Because if that's the motivation of your day, uh, then the pleasure is only momentary. If that's the motivation of your day, then the opinions of people does not hold the weight that the opinion of God holds. And so you should expect to hit your head to hit the pillow and go, oh, something's missing when your motivations are just temporal. 
And so Jesus, he, in John chapter 6, right, he, he feeds the 5,000. And you guys, you may or may not be familiar with this story, but uh, he, he shows up on the scene there and he's teaching in, in Galilee. And then uh, it says that 5,000 people were following him. They just counted the men at that point in time, a cultural thing. There was probably somewhere between 15 and 20,000 people. And they, they realized that uh, lunchtime is rolling around and we're in the middle of the wilderness. What are we going to do to feed everybody? And uh, this guy says, you know, this kid over here has got some fish and some loaves. And Jesus says, that'll work for me. And he multiplies the fish and the loaves. He feeds the crowd. He teaches the crowd. And then he leaves the crowd. And as he leaves the crowd, he goes uh, out. Uh, he, he removes himself. And then his disciples are rowing across the sea. And about three or four miles across the sea, they see Jesus walking on the water. And this next miracle occurs. And they're like, what on earth is happening? You would too. Um, and so these two different miracles occur. And then they get to the other side of the lake and the people wake up the next morning and they go, hey, where's Jesus? We're hungry again. You know, lunch was good. What's for breakfast? And so they can't find him and they, they go across to the other side of the sea. And then in John chapter 26, Jesus says this. He says, truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food that perishes, but work for food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. And he says, he looks at him and he says, I understand that, uh, and, and in, in that point in time, you have to have a little bit of cultural understanding here. Um, probably nine out of ten people lived in what we would consider poverty. Um, like they didn't have multiple sets of clothes. It was, like as Americans, we ask, you know, we, when we think about eating, it's not what are we going to eat, but, or not when are we going to eat, but what? You know, we don't, we don't wonder, you know, I wonder if I'll have lunch today. It's more like, do I want In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A? Well, it's Sunday, so I guess In-N-Out, right? Like we don't, we don't wonder about when we're going to eat. We wonder about what? Well, these were people that wondered about when. Um, when's the next meal? Um, when do we get a, you know, how is this going to work? And so there was that level of poverty. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you definitely need food. You know, like your body needs that. But you're not looking to me as a spiritual Messiah. You want me to be a physical Messiah. You want me to be the person that's going to overthrow Rome and bring Jerusalem into power again. And he's saying that that's not, that's not who I am. What I'm here to do is deal with your spiritual needs. And so, don't work for food that perishes, but work for food that brings eternal life. And what he's essentially saying, like you and I, again, we're not, we're not in that situation of poverty. Um, so, so, we are probably thinking along the lines of, uh, you know, he would might maybe look at us and say, you know, don't work for the thing that brings you that momentary pleasure. You know, happiness happens. There are moments where you get to have, a, like last year we went to southern Utah and we went to Zion and as a family we were enjoying God's creation. It was beautiful. We're laughing together. We were eating good food. We were just having a ton of fun. Happiness happens. But then we had to come back home. And here comes real life again. And there's ups and downs, right? Happiness happens. But joy is eternal. Right? A sense of deep contentment and fulfillment regardless of circumstances. That doesn't depend on whether you're eating a good meal or going without. That doesn't depend on if you have an updated kitchen or you still got that 70s thing going on. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Those things aren't what matter. And 
And so what Jesus then says in, in verse 40, he says, this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, it's interesting, he, he says, we'll have eternal life. Not we'll get it later. Not, you know, your time on earth is going to be really crummy, but you can look forward to death and heaven. That's not a Christian outlook. You know, we're not like waiting to die so that we can go to the next place. Now, uh, the next place is going to be unbelievable. If you've never read Revelation chapter 20 and 21, you should read it. What God has in store is incredible for us. But it's not like, oh, woe is me. It sure sucks to live on earth and I can't wait until I can get to that next place. No, God says he wants you to have eternal life now. He wants you to go through the highs on a level that you could never have without him, right? Like when we were walking around Zion and we were looking at it, we were enjoying company with each other. One of the things that made it way better was we looked at it and we said, look at what God has created. Look at his majesty. Look at his power. Look at his creativity. You know, we look at it and say, man, time and gravity are amazing. We looked at it and we said, the creator is amazing. I remember one of the first times we were at the Denver Zoo and we're walking around and it was just our little girls at that point in time and we're looking at all the different animals and my wife Becky, she says, gosh, God is creative. Look at, look at all the animals that he's made. Like, see his power, see his creativity, see, see creation through God's eyes. And so we can have eternal life here and now. Uh, the other side of it is, like I said, you're, you're going to have those moments that are highs. You're going to have those times where everything is just so comfortable. It's so good. And those are the, those are the times where anybody could enjoy life. And you'll enjoy it more if you bring God into the picture. But what do you do when your best friend gets cancer? What do you do when... really special lady who's raising three kids doing the best she can honoring God, blessing people what do you do when she gets cancer? what do you do when the doctors can't figure it out they can't beat it and she shows up in your office and they thought cancer was gone but it's not in fact, it's, it's way too far. What do you do? What do you do when the Lord takes her home? Do you smile? Do you cry? Do you do both? Do you cry because it hurts to lose a friend? And it hurts to see her husband and her children go through what they're going through? But you can also smile because you know that Jesus' promise that I will raise her up on the last day is true. Can you cry and smile at the same time? We can go through the ups of life and they're happy. They're wonderful. But what happens when it hits the bottom and everything hurts? How do you maintain then? And that's where this perspective has to come in. 
Jesus goes on in John chapter 6, verse 47 through 51. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Not's going to get it later. Has eternal life. He says, I am the bread of life. You and your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. He's referring to their, the time where the, they, after the exodus where they're in the wilderness for 40 years and God is providing food for them through manna and quail and he's making water appear out of rocks and different things. And he's, he's caring for their temporal needs. And he says, you know, he, he cared for their temporal needs and, and they died. But he says, this bread that comes down from heaven, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. What's he talking about? That if we understand that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins once and for all, and that he was risen from the dead, that we won't experience physical death? That can't be it. Maybe he's referring to death the same way that Moses did in Genesis. And God says that if you eat the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, they didn't eat the fruit and croak, but they did get kicked out of the garden. They did lose connection with God. They did experience a loss of life. See, because God puts them there and he says everything is good and he tells them to tend the garden and there's work to be done and to be fruitful and multiply. But the other thing that we know is that God walked with them in the garden. His presence was with them. And now all of a sudden, the loss of life that they experience isn't physical death. It's the loss of connection with the source of life. God himself. And that's what leaves each and every one of us unsatisfied. That is the problem that we all feel when, we, when our head hits the pillow and we go, something's missing. What is going on with this life? Or we walk through a period of time where we get to experience all the highs of the roller coaster, but then we have to get off of the roller coaster. You, you have to go back to normal life. And then you go, okay, you know, I just want to experience this all the time. But is happiness the point of life? Like seriously, is happiness the point of life? It's a great part of it, but is it the point? And I think this is something that our culture needs to understand more and more. Happiness is wonderful, but it is not the point of life. Because if happiness is the point of life, where would character development come in? Does character development come from ease and comfort? Or is that something that's a little bit more difficult? You know, do you get, do you get, do you get fit by eating pizza? Or is there some work to be done? And in the same way with our character development and with our spiritual side, the side of things, it's not about comfort. It's not about ease. In fact, if you were to look at passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, it talks about how the difficulty is a must for character development. It has to happen. Verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
get a little bit of a picture of the redemption picture that God has. Uh, see, God sees things outside of the way that we see things. And while, he, while Jesus came to redeem us, he also came to redeem the whole earth. He says he's going to give his flesh for the whole world, for all of creation. That creation groans and longs to be built back into that state that God had it in the garden where everything was good. And so God promises not just the redemption of you and me, but the redemption of all of creation. So that when you get to Revelation chapter 20 and 21, you understand the fullness of the picture. God's redeeming all of it. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain. But in order for there to be no more sickness, no more death, no more pain, he has to deal with the brokenness inside of us. And that's what the cross is all about. That's why we have to eat this bread. Because until God deals with the brokenness that's inside of me, and until, until I stop laying my head down on the pillow at night feeling unsatisfied and then waking up in the morning looking to find life in things that could never give life, I'm going to keep trying. And as long as I keep trying to find life in things that can't give life, that means that I'm going to end up harming myself and harming you. Inevitably, that's what I'll do. If I wake up each and every day and try and find life in things that can't give life, that means I have to take from you to be filled. And so when you get to the new heavens and the new earth, it's filled with people who don't do that. And that's eternal life right now. Eternal life right now is I don't do that. I don't wake up in the morning wondering what my wife can give to me. I wake up in the morning being filled by God, longing to serve her. I don't walk the streets looking for what I can take from people. I don't enter my job going, fulfill me. I enter my job going, I'm filled by God and I want to work my job for the glory of God so that others can be blessed. I don't turn to money and go, money, fill my heart. Oh man, it didn't work again. Uh, maybe if I got more money, it would work. Maybe if my bank account were bigger, Maybe if I had a nicer car. Maybe if I had better clothes. Maybe if I could eat a steak every night. That would probably work. No. <laughs> you know, you, like you go through all the things and maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, and I got to take and I got to give and I got to consume. And then when you finally realize that the place that you need to be is in the grace of God, receiving from him all that he intends for you to be and then some, then you go, I'm not a consumer. I'm a contributor to this world. And that's hard to hear because we're Americans. But what God says to each and every one of us is he didn't put us here to consume. He put us here to be filled and bless. And that's the eternal life that God is talking about. Do you want it? Or is the illusion more appealing to you? Do you want it? That's what John is saying throughout the day. Do you want it? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to experience it? Or do you want to be somebody that has to take from others instead of being able to bless? Do you want to watch the cycle that's gone through your family generation after generation of brokenness and taking from people to continue with you? Or do you want to break the cycle and receive from God what a human is supposed to be so that you can bless your family and care for them? Do you want to live in the cycle of brokenness? What do they call insanity? We're going to do the same thing over and over again. It's going to work. Humanity's progressing. Nonsense. And then the Jews, they hear this language. I said, we got to eat his flesh, drink his... What is he talking about? How can we have this kind of life? And so they ask the question, how can, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What is he saying? And Jesus says in verse 53, 
Truly I tell you, and eat, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Boy, there's a line. You do not have life in yourself. I do not have life in myself. Like, I got a pulse. But Jesus is saying, that's not the point. The point isn't if you have a pulse. The point is, are you forgiven? Are you cleansed? Are you new? Are you in right relationship with the Father? Verse 54, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna that your ancestors ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And it says that he taught those things in the synagogue in Capernaum. So he offers up this teaching. And then in verse 60... It says, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said to each other, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? What do you mean I don't have life in myself? What are you talking about? I'm doing great. One of the things that they ask him in this discourse is they, they ask him, they say, how can we do the works that result in eternal life? In other words, how can I be better than him so that I can earn more? How can, how can I be better than you so that God owes me something? How can we do that? And isn't that how we think as Christians or as, as, as people? How can I, prestige, be better than you so that God owes me something? I want, that, I want that prestige. And he essentially says, wrong question. Because this isn't about what you can earn or what you deserve. If you'd like to talk about what you earn or what you could deserve, that's a harder conversation. But it's not about that. Instead, it's about receiving from Christ what he has done for us. That his body was broken on the cross in our place. He died in our place and for our sins. And his blood was shed for the remission of those sins so that they would no longer be held against us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that through his resurrection, we would become the righteousness of God. That we would live a life that is filled with his presence and then used to bless others. That's righteousness. I'm filled with his presence and I bless others. It's not how well I keep the rules. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is receiving from God all that he longs for me to be and then blessing you with the goodness of God. That's righteousness. It's not, I kept the Ten Commandments better than you. That's not righteousness. It's I receive from him, I'm going to say it a third time, everything that I need and then I bless you. That's righteousness. Wouldn't it be great if each and every person walking the planet were looking to bless you? Do you think there'd be war in Ukraine if each and every person on the planet were looking to bless each other? Do you think marriages would fall apart 
if each and every person were looking to bless each other? Do you think there would be the generational sin of sex abuse and alcoholism if each and every person were looking to bless each other? Do you think we'd be trying to numb ourselves with TV shows and alcohol, drugs, if each and every person were looking to bless each other? That's how infectious sin is. And he's saying that Christ went to the cross to deal with that once and for all and to give you and I newness of life. This is the gospel. If you came to church thinking you were going to get some rules this morning, you're not. I want you to hear that God wants relationship with you and then through that relationship, his love would pour out of you so that you could bless others. That's eternal life. And they hear that. And they say, this is teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Because aren't we prideful? What do you mean it's not about what I do? What do you mean I can't earn it? What do you mean I don't deserve it? Then in verse 63, he says, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. One of the other parts of coming into relationship with Jesus, hear me, is that when you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that he was raised from the dead to give you new life, the spirit of God comes and indwells you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. God's presence is always with you. You could live otherwise. You could not know that. You could ignore him. You could quench him. You could grieve him. But God's spirit indwells you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the power of the almighty is with you everywhere that you go. His wisdom, his might, his power, his decision making, his peace, his patience, fill in the blanks. It's there. It's here. So he says, the teaching that you've heard is spirit and is life. The flesh can't help at all. You and I bring nothing to the table. You ever, you, you just spend a whole bunch of time working on a meal. Like in the backyard, tri-tips working on the barbecue. I'm inside, I'm making a chimichurri. Like you guys, it's good. Um, and and you're, you're, you're working on all these different things. You slice it up, you put it on the table. Your kids sit down and they just, they're just chowing down. They didn't bring anything to the table. They know how to work a fork. <laughs> but they didn't bring anything to the table. And that's us with the grace of God. The flesh does nothing. But when you sit down at the table, it is a feast. A feast of grace, of mercy and love. Peace and patience. It's a feast. And it's so good. And you know what happens? You get full. And when you get filled with the Spirit, you honor God, you thank Him in every circumstance, you praise Him in song and in word and in deed, and you draw in others to do the same.
That's spirit, that's life. But what happens in John 6, John 6, 66? From that moment, many of his disciples turned and would no longer accompany him. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? Everybody's leaving. Their pride, their misunderstandings of life, their wrong beliefs about God, the rejection of the Spirit. They're leaving. Do you want to go too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? Who are we going to go to? Let's try my favorite sports team again. Let's try vegging out on TV. Let's try, I know, I need a new car. Let's try Hawaii. Let's try pornography. Let's try... Get the idea? Where are you going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, Peter looks at him and he says, you know, all that stuff is nonsense compared to you. And, 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 and I, I don't want to be tricked into the illusion. I understand that the creation is good and in the creation are wonderful things. God is not saying don't enjoy life. He's not saying don't enjoy your possessions. He's saying steward them for things that matter. And then he says, we have come to believe. And so when you talk about the word belief, this is something where uh, the Greek word is, is faith, pistis. It means, it means that in my head and in my heart, I trust Jesus' death on the cross for my remission of sins. And in my head and in my heart, I trust that his resurrection from the dead gives me new life. That's believe. But then he says this word, know. We have come to believe and know. That means experience. That means not only has my mind and my heart been transformed, but I've also experienced in my relationships that when I'm filled with you, I'm different. I've experienced that in my, when I'm in relationship with you and my possessions, I don't really need them. I can give them away and be just fine. I've realized that, that when, when I'm in relationship with you, I know and I believe that I am a new creation in Christ. I, I, I tend to live like it. And then we'll fast forward a little bit. Two more verses in John. Uh, in John 17, 3, he says, This is eternal life, that you may know the, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus, he doesn't, he's not messing around. You want to know what eternal life is? That you would know the Father and that you would know his Son, Jesus Christ, and that in them you would experience the eternal life that I'm talking about. Filled with his presence, freed to bless others. That you'd know it. That's eternal life. I shared with you John 20, 30 already. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples not written in this book. But these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. And so quickly, I want to go through what biblical motivators are, okay? So we talked about what wrong motivators are, temporal motivators. When we talk about biblical motivators, let's start with one, not five. Um, uh, understanding that there is no one other than Jesus who can give life. When you reach the point where you go, you know, I tried everything, and every time I went there, it didn't actually work. But when I go to Jesus, I experience life as God intended it. You then realize that that's a motivation, I'm not going to be ridiculous and go to the wrong place over and over again. I'm motivated to do what works. And what works is to be in relationship with Jesus. Why would I beat my head against the wall when I could experience life? The other one is the fear of God, both in a negative sense, a fear of consequence, and a positive sense, a fear uh, that, that God is, uh, his power is above all others. You know, there's a realization for us as Christians that if God wanted to, in our disobedience, in serious disobedience, he could go Ananias and Sapphira on us and call us home right now. Like, he's got that power. And so there's a fear element of, I don't want to be against God, because I'll never win. But the, the other side of that fear is, is a reverence. It's a, he's, he is El Shaddai. He's almighty. He's the all-powerful. And so instead of trying to find power somewhere else, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect to the vine and in him I'll find life. There's this idea of love and gratitude for who God is and what he has done. When you know the transformation, when you've experienced this transformation, when you know that your old life was filled with patterns that were destructive and then you get this new life where uh, the patterns are building you up into the image of Christ, uh, there's an element of love and gratitude that you, that you have. So you keep coming to him. Uh, rewards for faithful living by experiencing the blessings of the new covenant in the here and now and in the life to come. And there's an understanding that there's a reward for being connected to Jesus now. It's life. But there's also strong teaching in the scriptures that the way that we use our life here and now will be rewarded in heaven. Uh, another motivator is our identity in Christ um, as, as a baseline for the transformation Jesus has accomplished in and for us. So uh, if, I, if I believe that I'm a new creation, that motivates me to live like one. If I believe I'm an old, broken down sinner who can't do anything because God's not powerful enough to transform me, you'll live like that. But if you believe that his power is big, if you believe that he can transform you, if you believe that while you bring nothing to the table, everything is at the table, you'll live different. Purpose in life and hope in God's eternal plan. Uh, this, is a, I, this should be a huge motivator for us as Christians. When I was talking about Matt and Kim and how they're going to talk to us about uh, how we can share Jesus in a complex culture, like honestly, if that, if that doesn't like spark something for you to go, I'm curious, you're missing out on purpose. You're missing out on hope of drawing people that you know and love into the eternal redemption plan that God has for them. And then longing for God by pursuing him and his ways is another powerful motivator. You're saying, God, I want you and I want your ways in my life. If the, those things are the things that are motivating you, first, you'll probably hit the pillow tired <laughs> because you'll have spent your day blessing others. You'll probably hit the pillow tired, but you'll also probably hit the pillow saying, thank you, God. 
thank you for new life. Thank you for transformation. Thank you for power. Thank you for dying on the cross for the payment of my sins. Thank you that I know my eternity is secure. Thank you that when I think about my friend who who passed away from cancer, I know that I'm going to get to see them again. Thank you. And you'll sleep well. Wake up excited for the next day. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity again this morning to learn from you. We thank you that uh, your, your words are spirit and they are life. God, hum- humble me in the areas that I still think I bring something to the table. Show me how dependent I am on you. Let me live in that dependence. Jesus, may we always remember your sacrifice on the cross, that your body was broken for our sins and that your blood was spilled uh, so that sin could be done away once and for all and that we could enter into a new relationship, a new covenant with you. We thank you that you have done this for all the believers in the morning. Uh, this morning we say, we say thank you and we say amen for those who don't know you, God. May the Spirit quicken their hearts and their minds to hear what you have for them and may they repent of their ways and trust in your Son Jesus' name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.